You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, at the time of the evening, where we welcome our pious and sagacious listeners uh, to the program, Wasail Al-Elama Sadiqa, and Alhamdulillah, really looking forward to a bumperful edition. Uh, shortly, inshallah, we'll be talking to Ahmad Manzoor, Sheikh Imam, followed by Professor Andre Duvanaga, and we'll end off the show with a um, uh, interview conducted with Imran Khan by BBC on uh, Spake Talk. So, uh, Ahmad Manzoor, Sheikh Imam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Tell us, What's happening, Ahmed, uh, in your part of the world? will be present. It's taking place at the University of the Western Cape today and tomorrow. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, that's, that's just one of the things. Uh, I was looking at the, the discussion paper, you know. Seems like that they want to get rid of all the smaller parties. They feel the coalitions are collapsing because of smaller parties. I'm saying it's collapsing because of corruption. <laughs> let us go out and bring it out to the open today and let me tell them why it won't work. I see they did put what I put in the suggested to them about the corruption, but very limited. I don't believe they're going to do much about it. The other thing is, is Western Cape, Cape Town is chaos. Yesterday, I can tell you, I had to drive around about another 30, 40 kilometers to get back home. The roads were blocked all over. All the passengers were... People coming from work were all stranded. There was no transport for them to go. The city of Cape Town introducing the um, uh, uh, what they basically they passed a bylaw here that if your vehicle is unlicensed uh, and, it, and a couple other things, if you don't have your number plates on and things, then they will impound the vehicle, and they've done that. And as such, there was chaos. When I tell you chaos, it's an understatement. I was with the police yesterday, and they were instructed to be on 24-hour call, not to go. So, and Santaco says it's going to go on right up to the 9th of uh, August. So, you know, that's just one of the things that, that that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, I want to urge our people, particularly in the Western Cape, to be very, very careful. It's getting out of hand. More, many vehicles were burnt, cars, taxis, buses. You know, so yeah. Now the issue of Modi, there was a story that he's not coming, but now there's a new story that he is coming. So you know, we don't know, but I think if he does come, we need to mobilize people and uh, and deal with him accordingly. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the meeting that is taking place uh, in Saudi Arabia on the issue of Ukraine. Russians are crying foul, saying that this is an attempt to create another block, an anti-Russia block. Uh, you know, so I don't know Saudi Arabia why they would find themselves in this situation. Yeah, my yeah, this is it. the good news is that the Danish court mm. is looking at the legislation to put in place. Uh, uh, in terms of the burning of the Holy Quran and things. But strange enough, there's about seven political parties that are opposing this uh, 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 plan by the Danish government. So, you know, these are just some of the things that's making headlines today. Yeah, I'm thinking, Ahmad, uh, do you have a bird nearby you? Making cheap, cheap, cheap all the time, Ahmad. No, 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 I'm similarly printing uh, the discussion paper. Yeah. Yeah. The printer is printing the discussion paper. You heard that? You know? 
was wondering where this bird got into his microphone. I mean, I said, people that are live, live printer, Abad is printing 10, 10 Pages. You know, you've got, you've got to go through every clause, every word, because, you know, the ANC, they can speak in anything there. <laughs> you've got to be careful, yeah. Now you're a master, yeah. but well done there. Looking at a message for you on the screen here, it says, uh, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. How can the law be implemented against offending taxis without disruption? and the issue becoming political uh, from Ashraf Bhai. That's a very good question. And may I add to that? I mean, uh, the World Cup uh, netball is taking place there in Cape Town. Sulul Ramaphosa will be visiting there. They say they like to see how he is going to navigate through, and they want to meet with him. They want to talk to him. But it seems that, you know, Sulul Ramaphosa is silent on many, many issues. But how do you respond uh, to your good friend Ashraf Bhai, uh, Ahmad? Well, first of all, yes, he is going to be addressing us today at the University of the Western Cape. I'm not sure why the Taxi Association ever decided to come there today. But that's the first thing. I know there's an uproar because the Minister of Police met with the, with Santaco and things. And um, of course, the mayor wants to know uh, why does the Minister of Police and not the Minister of Transport? But to some extent, you can expect the Minister of Police to be there because it's going to affect you know, his portfolio as well. But uh, you are correct, you know, it's becoming a political thing the way I see it. This is about scoring points. And remember, you'll get a lot of this now because you are coming close to an election and people are going to want to attack it. Listen, I, I, I must welcome what the Democratic Alliance is doing in the city of Cape Town. I'm just not sure that they're doing it, going about it the wrong, the right way. And the impact that it has had, particularly all on the thousands of innocent people, okay, that, that, that needed to go home. I mean, people... You saw there were some people say they were walking 50 kilometers to go home. That's what they had to do. So it's it's quite a, a problem. Now, I don't believe that some of the offenses calls for impounding. Right? I mean, you could have fined them and do, did whatever else you want. But um, now the owners are complaining and they are saying that if you impound, we as owners, why don't you fine and deal with the taxes? I don't agree with that. If you're an owner and you got somebody going and driving, you must make sure that he complies with it. It's mm. your responsibility as well. And we know that the taxi association is a law unto themselves. You know, they want to do what they feel like doing as well. But I can tell you, if you if you want to see chaos, you should have seen it. And it's expected to continue today. <laughs> they even sent us notices that if you come, please come early because you get caught in this thing. They're telling us, don't use the normal routes. So that you can see what they're expecting. And the taxi association is going to bring city of Cape Town to a standstill, I'm telling you. Mm. So, yeah. And, and, and our poor people are getting involved in it because they don't know how to go to work. Yeah, I mean, you know, when uh, the uh, city of Cape Town, I think even in Durban uh, or in, in, in Kuruleni and wherever, when they try to bring in, uh, you know, uh, the bus service in and other services, or even the Uber and all these other private services into help, uh, you know, alleviate the uh, uh, the congestion. Uh, the tra taxi owners went berserk there too. I mean, buses were torched, and uh, you know, even a railway, uh, you know, passenger carrying a railway uh, uh, services were all disrupted by the same, uh, you know, association. How do you react? I mean, if you, uh, if you if you try to show them, you know, you give them a warning. If your vehicle is not in order. And if it's uh, not roadworthy, uh, we are going to do this. Are we giving you a month or so? Are we giving you three months to get your 
act in order, but you still disobey the law and uh, you're putting people's lives uh, in danger. And now you're hijacking, uh, you know, uh, innocent people that uh, want to go to work, but uh, you have destroyed the infrastructure. The alternatives no more exist because uh, you were part and parcel of uh, putting a roadblock to that. How do you react to that, Ahmad? You, you, you know, I think taxi owners need to understand that they have a responsibility to make sure that those vehicles on the road that are carrying the public are safe and secure. And they're not doing that. If you notice that on our freeways, when these vehicles' tires go off, the entire rim comes off. They don't maintain these vehicles properly. And I think because there's, 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 there's a lack of control measures in place and oversight over these people. Now they want to protest. Now I don't mind people protesting, but it can't be at the expense of other people. The only people that suffered yesterday are the innocent people. And it's their way or no way. And I don't think it is fair. They need to understand, I mean, how can you be driving around without a number plate? Now, police have to be vigilant because there's a lot of crimes being committed to people who don't have number plates. Mm. Putting on a number plate is a requirement if you want to be on the road. Making sure your vehicle is licensed is a requirement if you want to be on the road. You, are, you know, making sure your tires are in good condition so that when you apply your brake, it can work. You understand? It's, it's a requirement. So I don't think there's anything unreasonable. And then I think there's a whole lot of outstanding fines. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, we all get frustrated sometimes with the, uh, with the fines. I do. Particularly if it's a uh, speeding fine, <laughs> you know, because they got these cameras all over. But uh, it doesn't mean that we must break the law and go do what we feel like. You know, it's not fair. We can't be a lawless country. We all must comply. You don't have this in some of the other countries, you know. So again, I want to say South Africa is in a state of lawlessness. People just do as and what they want to do. And this is not the first time. It's been going on all the time. The unions are exactly the same. They do want to protest, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's a very difficult situation for our people. I mean, look at, look at today, I'm right up to that line. How are these poor people going to go to work? Just how are they going to go to work? Mm, it's another... And, you know, you left them stranded. I'm told that meeting took place yesterday and within an hour they were full on on the, on the strike action and protest and burning the buses, burning cars. Yes. Burning. You must look at the end two was completely completely blocked. I had I was dropping somebody off at the airport. I couldn't come this way. I had to go right down to the R three hundred and go right through to the N one and come through to the N one and come back. That's what I had to do. Sad indeed. I mean, as you said, burning buses and burning uh, transportation and bullying the people. I mean, uh, they should realize, uh, you know, democracy doesn't work like this. And as you said, in mitigation, uh, the uh, uh, law enforcement that do, I mean, they can't be selective in how they implement the law. One law for everyone. So these people want to have a different law for themselves and others. So what do we do in, in, in say, a case like this? Ahmed? How, do, you know, I mean, the government has lost control completely. No, there's no doubt about it. Uh, government has lost control. I mean, we must be honest and we must admit that. And, um, but the, 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 the issue is, how do we get uh, 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 them once again to understand that there's a rule of law which you have to respect? How do you do that? Because you've allowed it for far too long. That's the problem. Now they do as and what they want, and very importantly, 
You need them too, don't you? You need them for the votes. So who is going to come out in the public domain, you understand, and criticize them? And they call that nobody. Everybody will side with the, with the taxi association, I can tell you now. Same thing with the LGBTIQ community. How many people do you think are going to criticize them? They want the votes. Mm. So that's where the politics of this thing comes in. And you'll notice that when you are uh, 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 getting closer to an election, you have a lot of protest action and everything taking place there. Yeah. Uh, so as soon as the government secures uh, its uh, next five years, and uh, then uh, they will, uh, you know, unleash their law enforcement on individuals, or maybe it's, uh, sometimes uh, get draconian. But in the case of uh, the South African government, uh, you know, uh, people would say maybe 60% or 70% of the law enforcement in this country is uh, compromised. And even uh, if you look at the ruling party, they're so heavily compromised that they are not seeing eye to eye, Ahmad. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 the bigger you get, the bigger your problems get. But the point is this, you know, if you maintain, you are consistent in terms of principles and ethics and value from the day one, you won't find yourself in the situation. But if your party itself has been doing all the wrong things with all your people and they know what you've been doing and things like that, you think they're going to, how do you go back and go, you know, it's like a father telling his child, a father who's on drugs telling his child don't take drugs. You think that's going to work? It's not going to work. you got to lead by example. Now, a lot of what is going on in terms of corruption and everything, it's what the ANC has been doing for a long period of time. And that's why you notice everybody that gets a position, you know, within a week of that person assuming that position, their headline, like you're having now with the deputy president. This is what it is all about. Mm. So uh, we are in a state of lawlessness in South Africa. And to be honest with you, I don't really believe the leadership of this country at the moment under the ANC can take South Africa forward. Now look at what they are doing. They, they're having this coalition, but I think there's a sinister move here because they feel that smaller parties, and they see that the, the DA pact with smaller parties all are working with them. You understand. They can also see some of the smaller parties that are in parliament now may not come back. Those have been supporting them even closing the eyes and supporting them. So what do you think they are doing? They are saying, no, it's the smaller parties are, uh, are the problem. Uh, they are creating the problem with the coalitions. They say the smaller parties uh, must now, we must put a minimum number of uh, votes that they might may, or seats they may have before they can join a coalition. I'm telling you why I say this, because they, at the moment, are treading on very thin ice. You don't know what the response is going to be like during the elections. And they may very well just need a small party to, to bail them out. You understand? And if that is not going to happen, then they're going to run into serious trouble. Hmm. So I think they, 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 they I, I know the ANC quite well. When they get out of bed in the morning and they thought of something overnight, they introduce it the next day. And six months later, they realize it doesn't work. So they, they're doing exactly this. I got a call from ATM, Ungula, last night saying, and you see this, they want to restrict the number of smaller parties and things going to parliament and things. Then I said to him, no, I think you're misinterpreting it. It's not about going to parliament. They are talking about you entering into coalition governments. Not about going to party. They can't because you have independence in everybody else. But that is the problem. They, 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 they're creating the problem. There was no problem. ANC were riding high 
They had it all. They had two-thirds of majority. They did everything. And you could they not see that every election they were slipping, slipping, slipping. Now you come to the 11th hour. So you can see the commonality between the ANC. Same thing with ESCOM. They could see it was deteriorating. They did nothing. They saw this denial, did nothing they did. So they wait for it to go right down to the ground. Then they get up one morning and say, let's do something. But the damage is done. You know, Ahmed, the amazing thing you talk about ESCOM, you talk about denial, and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at Sassel and all these entities, uh, now they are asking, uh, you know, for in the case of ESCOM, bring back the original, you know, engineers. I don't know if they're living, uh, but those that built it, those that designed it, those that ran it, they know exactly how to fix the problem. I mean, uh, is, isn't this laughable, Ahmed? Well, yes, indeed. You know, but remember, they did it for affirmative action. This is the thing. That's why I said that BE did the work, affirmative action did the work. And now they want the 70-year-old to come and bail them up. Mm. And that's all they want you to do. Because they know the, they know they messed up very badly. And, and, and it's not like they were not informed. In the early 90s, they were already informed that there's going to be a problem. You know, even the previous government knew that. So when, when they inherited this, they already knew that you're going to have to build new capacity. You have uh, previous government was not willing to do much before the 1994 election. Why? They were also eating and stealing and taking the money out of the country. And so they gave it to the ANC and the ANC, on the other hand, go out there and they started looting and everything. So they were not interested in you know, maintaining these things. If you look at maintenance, it's like not part of the agenda or the vocabulary. Everything to do with maintenance all over the country is a problem. Can you see that? Whether it's the infrastructure, when it comes to the roads, the water, the sand, everything, they don't spend on it. Hmm. We, we noticed uh, that they don't do anything about that. And uh, there's a question here for you. It says, Ahmad Mazur Sheikh Imam. Allah forbid if they do not uh, allow smaller parties, which party will you be joining? <laughs> no, my brother, just wait for the surprise. It's coming soon. Okay, you heard it. Ahmad is going <laughs> to hey, he's gonna reveal it soon. Alhamdulillah. And uh, yes, Ahmad, we all are uh, waiting for I mean, uh, many things await you. I mean, you can go to universities like uh, how Bill Clinton did after he finished his presidency go on a lecture tour like George W. Bush. I mean, uh, you have intelligence a million times greater. You can't lecture, but you can't lecture to these Americans. That's the problem. They think they are bigger than everybody else, you know? Yeah, they, these ultimate. Uh, but I'm sure uh, many, uh, a lot of lecture tours can be organized for you. And uh, many will be listening to you, Ahmed. And, and Alhamdulillah, you know, and you've got your, your media, your media platforms. Are you well... Uh, you know, respected on every media platform you go on. And uh, let me read this message to you. It says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jumma Mubarak, Shafat Ahmad Khan, Ahmad Manzur Sheikh Imam Yusuf Asmaan. Please uh, tell Ahmad that, that uh, this country is really unhealthy. These uh, Zama Zamas being killed left, right and center. Is, is, is this the right way of going about it? Uh, thinking, thinking about... Ahmad, how do you respond uh, to that uh, caller? Well, the, the, the war that's going on there is the Zama-Zamas amongst the Zama-Zamas. Mm. That's the problem. They're fighting each other now. Uh, for It's a territorial fight. It's like gangsters. That's what they're fighting about. 
So that's the first problem you got. Uh, the, the second thing is that we've allowed it to go on for too long. The third thing is that there are big influential people in benefiting from these things. That's why it's gone to the extent it is. So, you know, it's not going to be easy. But what is important to note, that it's hell for the people that are living in that area. I promise you, it's nothing but hell. If you speak to them, you'll be shocked to what extent those people are, are, are every single day of their lives. I mean, can you imagine them telling you, while you're sleeping, you can hear underground. The explosives, you can hear them mining underground. And nobody thinks it's important. Now, I've been raising it again and again and again. Now, I see the Minister of Police says he's doing something about it. He's arrested quite a few of them. Now, again, I want to ask you, why do you need to wait for people to shout and scream and people to die before you act? Now, suddenly, the Minister decided to act. All this time, he was not acting. Not like he didn't know what was going on. Mm. So, this is the problem we got. They come when it's too late. That's the problem. And they also tell you, Amada, that they have no resources. I mean, the police has no resources. And they have to... I mean, since when they have no resources, but they have resources for other things, and, and why is this so, Ahmed? Well, I don't allow him to say that in front of me. Yeah. Because one, one, one budget session, he agreed to a reduction in his budget, and I stood up and said, why are you accepting this? You know you need more budget. He said, no, we'll manage. I said, how are you going to manage? He said, no, it'll be okay. And then what, you come one year later and say, you know, six months later and say you got no budget. Mm. But you're the one that accepted the reduction in the budget. Knowing that you're supposed to increase your budget because of the demand. Because of the high levels of crime. So, you know, they bring it upon themselves, you know. They, because they belong to one organization, they have to appease each other. But the delivery of services suffers at the end. But, uh, so, so, you know, I, I, I have asked them, which I'm still waiting for. Can you give me a report, a comprehensive report on everything that you need? That's what I told them. On everything you need in, to be able to contain the high levels of crime in this country. And they said, okay, they're going to prepare it. It'll take a bit of time, but it's taking a lot of time. I promise you it's taking a lot of time. I haven't got it up to now. Mm. So well, Abadha, your pages are there. I don't know how many pages. I can hear you bundling them up. But mashallah, great indeed. From start to end, we heard the printer printing, and we thought it was a bird. But it wasn't a bird, people. It was Ahmed, the printer. Your parting words are this, uh, uh, Ahmed? Well, I think, uh, again, to the people in the Western Cape and Cape Town, you're going to have to be very, very careful. You're going to have to arrange alternative transport. But even alternative transport is not really the solution. Because they are burning anybody's and everybody's vehicles. They don't care. They are stoning the vehicles. So there's a whole lot uh, that is going on as far as this, this, this protest. And they're talking about until the night. And I think until you get the clarity as to where this thing is going, uh, you need to be very, very careful. What I saw yesterday, I never expected. And if it continues like this, I can tell you, there's going to be the number of vehicles that were burnt and buses and things is unbelievable. Mm. And you just have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you know, I was wondering when I was coming in why there were so many police officers there. But I didn't know what they were up to until I found out. But unfortunately, I got away from it. But I think it's important to know that uh, it's going to be like this for a, for a couple of days. Because the taxi association will want it their way or no way. 
Yeah. This is the problem. So people, please be very careful as to what's happening in these areas, uh, particularly the Cape Town and then, uh, well, not the whole of it's, 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 it's a legislation that affects the whole of the Western Cape. But uh, it's, it's mainly in the city of Cape Town that they are implementing these things. And you can look at the attitude of the city. They say, for every vehicle you burn, we will impound 25 of your vehicles. That is, that is the attitude of the city. Mm-hmm. So what is it? You are antagonizing them even more. But you are forgetting the plight of the people. You should have put some measures in place to make sure that people can actually, you know. Yeah. Uh, 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 but you didn't do that. So that's the other problem that we're sitting with. So yeah, be very careful what's going on. It's going to continue. Uh, but we do hope, inshallah, that sanity prevails and they get it on the negotiating table. I think the city is to some extent unreasonable. At the same time, I believe taxi association believe that they are above the rule of law. Jazakallah khair, but you have a mashallah time ahead. And inshallah, we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Yes, Ahmed Mandur, Sheikh Imam there, very uh, eloquent and uh, giving us uh, up-to-speed news. Uh, well, don't go anywhere. Now, shortly, we got uh, Professor Andre Duvanaga coming through. Thing, Prof, especially, you know, the taxis are giving uh, the Western Cape government a, uh, you know, a nightmare because, uh, you know, there's no sir, uh, uh, passengers are str- stranded and so forth. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, this could be a watershed moment for the taxi industry. If, uh, you know, it seems that the Western Cape government doesn't want to give in. What's your thoughts on the whole scenario, Prof? Well, Shafat, if we just take one statistic, and I think there's something like about 30 to 40 murders a month in the taxi industry. Someone needs to create order. The, The taxi industry has become a chaotic environment. They are a room on themselves. And some, someone needs to stop that process. And at least it's taking place in the Western Cape. Now, we know the Western Cape is under DA control. But um, I am wishing J.P. Smith all of the best. I think it is a huge task. But it's also in the interest and safety of people to do it. We cannot allow the taxi industry to fight all opposition away. The bus system, kill the bus system because they are in competition for uh, for people. And uh, that is extremely problematic. They cannot be a law on themselves. It needs to be stopped. And I hope that J.P. Smith will be successful in this regard. No, absolutely, Prof. And uh, it seems, uh, you know, the countrywide, the other associations are watching with uh, bated breath. But, uh, you know, the uh, reasons uh, that were, was given is, uh, you know, if you don't have your number plates on or the vehicle is not uh, roadworthy and so forth. Uh, but they've been doing it uh, time and time and again. They've been uh, bur- burning the trains and burning the buses. Uh, how do you handle uh, this lawlessness then, Prof? If, uh, you know, the, the head of the government, uh, uh, you know, uh, the ANC, uh, making, uh, uh, I mean, they don't say anything about the whole thing, uh, Prof. Yeah, well, uh, Shafat, they are in cahoots with the government. Mm. They have uh, agreements and uh, the one hand wash the other, and that is extremely, extremely problematic. And uh, we know that in the Western Cape, it is a different scenario. In the Western Cape, it is uh, opposition government. They have a completely different approach. 
in comparison to the rest of the government, but I can assure you, in other provinces, you are not going to see the political will to act against the uh, uh, destructive forces. I know here in Gauteng we have received media reports that uh, the police are not prepared to take on the Zamazamas. They are afraid of the Zamazamas. They are in some cases making use of private institutions, uh, private security institutions, in order to uh, create stability within that environment. Now, if the political will is lacking, then there's basically nothing you can do. And if I can describe the last, uh, the zoo, but basically the Ramaphosa term, I would, I would describe it as a time where there was the opportunity, but the absolute lack and will to uh, act against uh, uh, perpetrators in so many ways, in so many areas. It will be interesting now, I have just read earlier an uh, article, a small article saying that uh, Billy Downer and that uh, journalist woman has won the case against Zuma. Yes. And they put aside the personal prosecution. So uh, it will be interesting to see what the Zuma group will do for the government to take a stronger stance in this regard. So it's a lack of political will on all levels, including the taxi industry, and maybe in particular the taxi industry, because the taxi industry is a very critical part of the political mm. process of mobilization and organization of support. When they would like to fill a stadium, like the FNB stadium, they need the support lines, mm. and then they need the taxi industry, and it's one hand wash the other, and that's the way they are going. Now, what a point you made there, Prof. It's like uh, the blood flowing through the veins of this country. It's uh, taken over. Maybe the trucking industry falls into oblivion when it comes to the uh, taxi industry, Prof. Absolutely. There, 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 there's, there, there's no doubt about it, Shafat. And uh, they are very influential within the political environment, I know. With the comeback campaign fought, uh, fight by uh, Jacob Zuma against Tabu Mbeki back in the early 2000s, the taxi industry was pivotal. And they were directly linked to uh, the organized criminal syndicates. And they operate as a unit. And they prepared the basis for Jacob Zuma from where he could consolidate his political power base. And from there on, he took it to the Polokwane Conference of 2009. So don't underestimate these groups. They are critical, important. They are dangerous. And I think the Western Cape is doing pioneering work. You know, it's interesting. I'm driving around sometimes in the Western Cape, more specifically the Southern Cape around Mossel Bay. And immediately you can see law enforcement is on a different level. Everything is working. I was at a DA meeting as a guest, then more as an analyst to analyze the Northwest Democratic Alliance. And they are telling me they have an agreement in all local governments where they are governing. Every pothole they will fix within 72 hours. That is the type of agreement. And that's also the same when it comes to uh, law and order and law enforcement in particular. Well, Prof, before I let you go, you remember the uh, Zola, I want you to be my Zola, bud. That was a very famous uh, tune that was on every taxi 
You know, they wanted, uh, they called the taxi Zola Bada, Prof. You remember that? I remember, I remember that <laughs> very well. And I also remember the one year, I think it was either Uganda, Kenya, or Tanzania, one of these places, it was called the Monica Lewinsky. So, <laughs> so they like they, they like the women names in some way to attract attention. And I think it is a way of marketing, but I remember the Zola Butt um, taxi very, very well. What was interesting, and I remember that time, the, the taxi industry was initially initiated by white people mm. and later took, taken over by uh, other political groupings, especially after 1994. And uh, you know who makes the most money on the taxis, Prof? It's everything keeps going right for Toyota, Prof. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely true. And uh, it is interesting also the scheme of the government to change the taxes, you can you can take in your taxi and you can yeah. basically get a new one. And I understand, I don't know if it is true, but they are telling me they are getting their petrol at the lower price levels mm. than uh, ordinary citizens, but I don't have evidence for that. But it was mentioned to me uh, by several groups uh, on several occasions. But I couldn't find evidence. But if it is true, it will just um, sanction what I have said to you earlier, that there's a close relationship between government and the taxis. Prof, I thank you very much. VTA is by a Biesa. We'll let you go, Prof. Have a lovely time ahead. Thank you very much, Shafat. Professor Andre Dubanaga there, keeping us up to speed. And uh, yes, uh, time for us to uh, tap into the interview with Imran Khan and uh, Sakur uh, of uh, BBC. Imran Khan in Lahore, Pakistan. Welcome to Hard Talk. Uh, from the outside, Mr. Khan, it looks as though a legal noose is tightening around your neck. Does it feel that way to you? <clears throat> yes, uh, Stephen, it's been like that for a while, ever since I was out of power uh, 14 months, 15 months ago. Uh, what was hoped by the uh, establishment which removed me, what they hoped was that the party would just fizzle away. And normally it happens when you're out of power, you're out of power for quite a while. But instead what happened, the most unusual thing in this country, that the party's popularity kept growing. And then in the by-elections that took place, out of 37 by-elections, my party swept 30 of them. Uh, and this is despite the establishment backing the government parties. So since then, this, uh, it's, uh, the attempts are being made to knock me out of the game. I had two assassination attempts on me. And uh, apart from that, now I have close to my double century, almost 200 cases. Uh, and the whole uh, attempt is to either imprison me uh, or disqualify me or both. Yeah, you talk about being knocked out of the game. Isn't the reality, now that there are these pretty much 200 cases against you, which include a whole range of charges, the corrupt misuse of official gifts is one, contempt of Pakistan's election commission is another, but then there are others which include, as I understand it, sedition, blasphemy, and one case which even alleges your involvement in a murder, it's becoming so complex and so serious that, frankly, you don't have time for anything else. 
Well, uh, you forgot to mention there are about 60 or 70 terrorism cases against me. So um, um, all my time is spent from going from one court to another courtroom. I have made uh, in two months over 350 court appearances and my legal team is busy fending off one case after the other. But the thing is, nothing sticks because these are frivolous, bogus cases. And what, what now they are planning to do is to have military courts. And this is, this is right now in the Supreme Court, whether the, the courts will allow military courts or not. And the objective of the military court is that there, there I certainly will be sentenced. Mm. Your contention, I guess, is that you're guilty of absolutely nothing. Is that it? Absolutely nothing. Uh, look, Stephen, someone till the age of 70 never had one criminal case against him. In the last few months, how can you have 200 criminal cases? And here's someone who this country knows for 50 years. You know, I'm not someone who this country doesn't know, not just as a cricketer, as someone who has done the biggest charitable projects in our history, who people give more money than anyone in our history, so who trust them, uh, uh, who, who trust uh, with their money. So people don't believe this. And as a result, the, the, according to the opinion polls, rather than the popularity going down, it is just going further up. Mm. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the notion of karma and the phrase, what goes around comes around. Would you accept that one problem for you is that the positions you stake out today are very different from the positions you've taken in the past? And when I say that, I'm thinking, number one, of your enthusiasm uh, for the court's ruling that Nawaz Sharif, back in the period before 2018, should not be allowed to run again for public office. You, for a couple of years, demanded that he be barred from politics. In the end, he was. You said the courts had every right to bar a senior politician from running for office. The courts may well be about to bar you from running for office in the forthcoming election. So it's going to be difficult for you to argue the courts have no right to do that. There's a word, uh, or, or two words, moral equivalence. It's when you equate two completely uh, unrelated uh, instances and, and combine them and sort of draw an analogy. Look, Nawaz Sharif... Well, he, how did he get caught? It was in Panama Papers, that expose that took place, where it was discovered that he had four luxury flats in London, which he had not declared and were in his daughter's name. There was one and a half years in court, there was a joint investigating committee, which asked him to provide, where did he get the money to buy these four flats? When he couldn't, that's when he was disqualified. It cannot be compared with me, where out of almost 200, there are only two corruption cases and both I'm fighting. And I'm telling you that both the cases, they will never find anything because there was no corruption. You can't compare him for luxury flat worth millions of dollars in London. Where he gets convicted. He gets to serve a sentence to compare to what is going on right now. Would you accept that you've made several grave errors in the recent past? Perhaps one of your most serious errors was fermenting an atmosphere after you were ousted from power 
last year, an atmosphere in which you encouraged hostility toward the military. And when you were arrested in May of this year, your supporters immediately took to the streets in violent protest, which included violence directed against military targets, including the house of one senior general. They were your people responding to your rhetoric. Well, uh, Stephen, let me just answer this one by one. Number one, in my 27 years in politics, never have I told anyone ever to be violent. All our protests have been within the Constitution, peaceful protest, which is allowed uh, uh, on when we feel any injustice, it is a right to have a protest. And that's what we've done. We did the longest ever protest of 126 days and not one one act of violence ever took place. There were peaceful protests. We used to protest and go back. So first, let me make it clear. And this is what the courts have discovered when they tried to accuse us, when the when the government accused us of attacking uh, army buildings, the courts two uh, two judgments now have cleared us that we none of us were involved in any of violence. We believe that there should be independent investigation into the four. Just four places where the violence took place. Did, did, but hang on, did you, did you not think for a moment, knowing Pakistan as you do, the polarised feelings amongst your people, did you not think for a moment it was irresponsible of you in the months running up to May 9th of this year to be accusing the military of essentially running a puppet government, of launching a coup d'etat, of taking over Pakistan and completely undermining its democracy? Did you not? for a moment think that that might lead to trouble. So Stephen, what you're saying is that I should not tell what was the truth. Everyone in Pakistan knows what happened. The defense minister, the current sitting defense minister, who's now, you know, who was in the opposition, he has given a public statement that way back in 2020, I mean, we went six months down the line in our government. He said that the then current the army chief told him categorically that he wanted to get rid of my government. And had it not been for two years of COVID-19, which is why he held back, that's the only reason he didn't remove our government. Now, this is from the current defense minister. So no one in this country is in any doubt that it was the ex-army uh, chief who removed my government. In fact... He has bragged. He said he thought Imran Khan was dangerous for Pakistan. That's why he removed me. So this is just a fact. Well, the, no the, one. I talked about karma. Yeah, I talked about karma before. The truth is, you rode the tiger of military support for their political candidate. You rode that tiger yourself in 2018. You were close to the military. You remained close to the intelligence services and the military in your early years in power. And it was only when you fell out with the military that you decided you wanted no military meddling in politics. Again, it's hypocrisy. One of the army spokespeople said well, Imran Stephen, Khan is the biggest hypocrite. So, Stephen, I need to correct you again. My party is the only party that was not created by military dictators. People's Party, 
Ayub Khan, the first dictator, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto was his minister for eight years before he left his government and then created the party. His, he, was, he was a businessman. My party started from zero. 22 years I built my party from scratch. And then, if in 2018 the army backed us, then how come, then despite the establishment openly going against us, trying to dismantle us, how come after we are out of government, we win 30 out of 37 by-elections? How come that has happened? Because the establishment, everyone knows, is standing with the government. So how come we sweep all the, all the by-elections? So clearly we did not come into power because of the army. Where you're right, the army did not oppose me in 2018. That's where you're right. But in 2013, the military establishment backed Nawaz Sharif, brought him into power. That's why we did this protest for 126 right. days, because we wanted, we, wanted a, we wanted the audit of the elections because we knew the elections were rigged. But when in 18 right. we came into power, we asked the opposite. We asked them to open the elections because we knew we had won free and fair elections. Isn't the truth, though, that you believed after you lost that vote of confidence in 2022, you believed you could use people power to force the army to come back to you, in essence, and you were wrong. And going back to what happened in May 2023, when your supporters went to the streets, they committed that violence, including against key military infrastructure, you basically crossed a red line, a red line that even supporters of your own PTI party, even former friends and colleagues in your government say is on you. It's your responsibility to quote uh, your former defense minister, Pervez Katak. He says, all of the political representatives of my new party hold Imran Khan responsible for the tragedy of May 9th. He said Imran Khan's anti-state agenda has been rejected by the masses and his own party's former leadership. Now, Stephen, let me, let me answer this question because it's very important. What happened on the 9th of May? On the 9th of May, I'm sitting in the precincts of the Islamabad High Court I'm on bail of these many cases, so there was no case on me. I get attacked by the commandos, not by police, by commandos. There are visuals which have gone all over the world. I was attacked. My people were, guards were beaten up, and I was abducted from there, confirmed by the Supreme Court, unlawful and unconstitutional. So what did you think the, the supporters would do? When they saw the army, the commandos picking me up from there, was there not going to be a protest? But remember when I was shot, when I was shot and 12 of my other people were wounded, one dead. Despite that, there was no burning. There was no arson. There were peaceful protests, but there were protests without any arson. So how come, the, this is the big question, when they see me being dragged like the, the head of the biggest party, abducted, there was going to be a reaction. Now, point is, were we involved in the arson? Arson only took place in four buildings. Okay. They, they put 10,000 of our workers in jail. Now, Stephen, you've got to listen to this. This is very important. 
This was all pre-planned. This, the, the way the police could have picked me up. Why did they need commandos to pick me up and beat everyone up? Because they wanted a reaction. And there was, but the reaction was peaceful as it's always been. I want to stop you, Imran Khan, because you have made it clear you accept no responsibility for the violence around May 9th. I understand that. But my point really was to focus on the fact that since May 9th, the extreme pressure put on your PTI party, some of its members from the most senior to the most junior, has led to the implosion of your party. Some of your most senior former lieutenants like Fawad Chowdhury, Purvis Katak, whom I've mentioned, Jahangir Tareen, they've all left. Some of them have set up new political parties. Your party, as it was, frankly, no longer exists. If my party doesn't exist, why don't they announce elections? Why did they run, off, uh, uh, run away from the elections stipulated by the Constitution, announced by the Supreme Court on the 9th of May in 60% of Pakistan versus Punjab? They ran away from the elections. Now they're trying to run away from the elections in October. So if my party is finished, they shouldn't be worried. The problem is the party is intact. They have tried everything. They have put 10,000 of people in jail, including women, never done before, peaceful protesters. And worse, they have put people through torture. We've had faced custodial torture. It's never happened in the history of this country. And under pressure, some people have left. But the vast majority of people are in hiding today in Pakistan. All my senior leadership, which is not arrested, few of them have defected. The rest are in hiding. My workers are in hiding. I am the only one with one or two other guys who are, who are, who are not in hiding, but we are more or less house arrested. But that's the point. So, that's the point. We don't have much time. Let's go on, go keep on. some brief questions and answers. Fawad Chowdhury, who we've had on this show, who was very loyal to you, but now has quit politics, saying he can't work with you anymore. He said the other day, he said... You, Imran Khan, have to find a way to build bridges to the mainstream politicians. And he even mentioned Nawaz Sharif. He said the country is in the, on the brink of a terrible crisis. And it's incumbent upon you to put your own interests aside and reach out to Nawaz Sharif and others. Are you prepared to do that? The fact that the country is on the brink of, uh, of a major disaster is true. We really are heading... Uh, what I feel are the dark ages because we basically have an undeclared martial law in Pakistan. I mean, the country evolved towards a democratic process over the last 20 years, and suddenly there's no media which is free, and, and the judiciary, they're trying to control that. So we are heading in the dark ages. But what is the answer? Is the answer to, to uh, uh, shake hands with people who've been robbing this country for 30 years? I came into politics... Because I, wa I was, the two families had destroyed our country economically. I came in because I wanted to bring the powerful under the rule of law, which is why my party was called Movement for Justice, Rule of Law. And now, am I supposed to join the same people who are responsible for destroying the rule of law in this country, who are above law, so that I, I again, uh, what for, to come into power? I'd rather not come into power. I'd rather stay in the opposition. But let's stick What's with this idea. What's the point of coming let, into power let, let, if you can't bring justice here? Right, but let's stick with the idea that Pakistan faces a catastrophic future if 
political instability feeds into security instability and we see that the suicide bombings, the terror continues, particularly aimed at political parties right now. And also we see a potential economic catastrophe with an IMF bailout which just stopped the country defaulting but which nonetheless leaves Pakistan in a parlous position. Your country can't afford the political chaos that will come if you try to run in the forthcoming election. It just can't afford it. Stephen, look, the only solution to Pakistan, and any sensible person in this country will confirm this, the only solution, there is no other solution. Free and fair elections. That's the only way we will get out of this mess. What is happening is that in order to keep me out, they are dismantling our democracy. And what you're seeing in, in the rise in terrorism, the whole province of KP, Pakhtunkhwa, which is on the border of Afghanistan, why was there no terrorism when we were in power for three and a half years? Why is it suddenly the terrorism is going up? Because they're no longer represented it. The government in Pakhtunkhwa, where the terrorism has started, and in Balochistan, there has been a caretaker government which is not representative of Pakistan, doesn't belong to the people, and that's going there for eight months. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. So the answer is free and fair elections. Let the people select their own representatives and then let them uh, sort out the problems of Pakistan. We as a representative government had brought down terrorism in Pakistan. You, right now, uh, are sitting in Lahore. Every time you try to leave your home, you have to negotiate all of the armed guards and the security that surrounds you. Pretty much your only journeys right now are to the courthouse. You know that you survived an assassination attempt last November, but you've said you expect another one to come. I believe your own children have told you that you ought to get out of politics for your own safety. Why will you not heed that advice, because it may be the only way to calm tensions in your country. Stephen, what you're saying is that we should uh, accept slavery and, and not have freedom. Democracy means freedom. So what you're basically telling me is that in order to accept this fascist government, which is destroying our civil liberties by the day, they're about to pass a bill, just so that you know what we are facing right now. They're passing a bill which is called prevention of extreme, uh, uh, extreme violence. The intelligence agencies can break into anyone's house without an arrest warrant. They can pick anyone up. They can try people in military courts without access to justice. This is what we are facing now. Unfortunately, the country has been taken over by fascists and they are petrified of elections. Reason why I'm suffering is because they know that elections would we would win hands down and because of that they are not only dismantling our democracy it means we should accept that we don't have any freedom you, you, how can you, you, we accept you've made, that you've made a series of how allegations you've that? made a series of allegations about this government which of course the current pakistani government would absolutely deny but what is clear is that if elections are to be held this year you have a choice. You either try to run or you back off because it could send Pakistan over the edge. What are you going to do? What will save Pakistan are free and fair elections. Stephen, make no mistake about it. 
because that will give it political stability, a, a, a government backed by a public mandate, if it comes in for five years, will give us political stability, and that will then give us economic stability. At the moment, there is no political stability, and the economy is just tanked. And this terrorism is an offshoot. Right. When there's no represent, representation of people, when they are being ruled by a center, which, is, uh, which uh, has no idea how to deal with things as things deteriorate. So look, wh what you're basically saying is that I should just leave these guys alone and, you know, look after myself. So it's easy for me. All I have to say is All that, right. look, I'm going for a holiday to London to see my boys and life is easy for me. But look, I mean, I am the first generation of Pakistanis which grew in an independent country. My parents grew up in colonial India. So we value our freedom. Imran Khan, we have to end. Yes, sir, we'll leave it at that. And uh, yes, I want to thank uh, Lucalo for great engineering uh, this evening. Keep it locked on to Malkif Sahaba for beautiful programming and uh, lovely Nasheed interspersed from the team and I till we meet you again. We bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.